Hello and welcome to the Unbundled Attorney Mastermind Podcast. My name is Dave Ahrens and I'm the co-founder and CEO of Unbundled Attorney. In this podcast, we interview many of our provider attorneys, as well as some of the leading experts in the industry to isolate the best practices for building internet-generated leads and how to ethically and effectively offer unbundled legal services and other more affordable options in your practice. For more information about our services, visit www.unbundledattorney.com. All right, I'm really excited to get this interview out into the podcast ethers for all of you to listen to today because uh, this really came, became essentially a crash course uh, on uh, unbundled legal services for immigration attorneys, uh, the different types of options that I think many immigration attorneys maybe have never even considered offering in their option. And we break them down step by step with uh, one of our provider attorneys out of Orlando, Vanessa Wilson who is offering a suite of unbundled services, pay-as-you-go full representation on immigration cases, as well as the fact that she has run her practice as a virtual office, basically since she started her practice in January. She's only recently opened up a brick-and-mortar office in Orlando, but up until recently, she was doing everything virtually, meaning that she was only doing everything either over the phone or she would meet clients in a virtual office but didn't actually have her own brick-and-mortar office. So she talks about how she does everything electronically, uh, leverages document automation software to streamline the preparation of the documents. And so, gosh, I mean, there's just so much in this episode that I think any immigration attorney that's currently practicing can immediately apply in their practice to start you know, speeding up the process and offer a lot more options to their clients that they otherwise may not have ever considered offering. So let's get right into it. One thing I will mention here is that Vanessa and I, actually, this is the second time we're doing this interview because the first time the recording didn't take properly. And so uh, we lost the initial recording. So I think we did the best we could, uh, given that this was round two. Uh, and I think it came out great. So uh, enjoy this interview with Vanessa Wilson, one of our provider attorneys out of Orlando, Florida. All right, Vanessa, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm looking forward to to diving into this conversation. We've talked a lot recently and really excited about everything that you've been able to accomplish in the South Florida region with immigration and the processes you've developed. So I really appreciate you taking the time to jump on again today and, and share everything that's been working well for you. Sure. I, it's Definitely going to be a lot of fun talking about Unbundled because it's, it's gotten me a long way since I started here. So I'm excited. Great. Okay. So maybe a good place to start is maybe if you could share just a little bit about your background, uh, how you got your start in the practice of law, and you're the focus area and region that you serve. Sure. I actually started out as a public defender in Manhattan. I was working for the Legal Aid Society of New York um, right out of law school, and I was there for seven years. Um, and New York being the diverse community that it is, I had quite a few clients who were not U.S. citizens um, and were facing criminal charges and, as a consequence, would face um, sort of a, a chain reaction to their immigration status. Um, after a Supreme Court decision in 2008, it became a requirement for criminal defense attorneys to, d to advise their clients that weren't U.S. citizens of the possible repercussions on their immigration status. Um, so we had quite a bit of training on that. And in that training, I learned so much about immigration. And also being a child of immigrants, um, it just made me realize that that was probably the field that I wanted to dive into next after, you know, after criminal law. 
Um, and when it was time for my family uh, to move, we decided on moving to a region where we already had some family, Florida, from uh, the New York, New Jersey region. And, you know, I knew it would be great to continue um, sort of my public interest work in a new community that was also diverse and serve the immigrant population. Um, and the best part about it was that as I was already licensed in New York and New Jersey, I didn't have to take another bar. So it was just go ahead and uh, practice federal law, immigration law, and um, not have to sit for another exam. So that was definitely a plus for me. Yeah, so that was your first kind of venture into running a solo practice was when you moved to Orlando, Florida. And this was when? What what year was this? That was in 2016. January of 2016, we moved down here. Okay. And that's when you opened up your own yeah. practice uh, providing, is it solely immigration services that, you, that you, you focus on? That's right. Yeah. Since I didn't take the Florida bar, I'm not licensed here, so I don't practice any Florida law. Um, so I, I practice only immigration. And uh, it's my very first time doing any private practice, let alone solo. I went from seven years uh, in a public, with a public agency to completely solo. <laughs> so it was, a, it was a big change for me. Yeah. And where is your, your, where is your family? You mentioned you, you, you were born of a parents from another country. Where is your family originally from? And, and how did they yeah. eventually come to the United States? If you don't mind sharing. Sure. My family are from, they're from Haiti. My mother and my father are both from Haiti. And it's funny because as I learned, learned more about immigration law, I learned more about what process they took to come into the country and how difficult it was and how back then, you know, some people, including my family members, took some shortcuts, um, but eventually got to the same status that they would have gotten had they, you know, followed the normal processes, I guess. Um, and, you know, just looking at how different things are um, now post 9-11 than they were pre 9-11. Um, you know, the process back then was just probably just as lengthy as it is now, only it's um, they want a lot more information from you now. So it's it's harder to do on your own than it was back then. And that's why I think a lot of people need an, a professional, an immigration lawyer to assist them. Yeah. Times have continued to change, of course. It's interesting to see how the political environment is directly affecting the immigration arena and the immigration industry, uh, legal industry. Um, can you talk about how things have continued to, you know, get up, you know, or at least a lot of uncertainty has arisen most recently with uh, Trump's election and so forth and how that's impacted people's overall feelings towards, you know, want, you know, being uncertain about their, their current status and how that's impacted yeah. the amount of people that you've, you've been, you know, people have been coming to your door to, to get help with you know, securing their rights in a more, in, in a more reliable fashion. Right. Absolutely. I mean, um, I mean, just to give you some of my experience when I first started out coming from a public interest background, I had no idea how to advertise. I was networking by going to events with other lawyers and hoping that these non-immigrant attorneys, immigration attorneys would send me work that, um, that they didn't do, like immigration work. Um, or if I went to a church or a community center and did a talk, I hope that people would remember my name and call me when they needed help. But I really wasn't getting much work that way. It was a very slow start, and I just didn't know what else to do because I never had to do anything. My work was assigned to me before. Um, so even when I met people, you know, people who were eligible to apply for things and would likely have a successful um, application, 
uh, just didn't really move forward in their cases. They'd get the information from me and they'd say, okay, um, I'll reach out to you when I'm ready. For instance, citizenship, you know, to be eligible to apply for citizenship, you one of the um, eligibilities is if you have had your green card for at least five years. I've met people who've had their green cards for 20 years and still haven't applied for citizenship just because there's no rush. But now, with the change in the administration, those same people that I spoke to maybe a year ago are running <laughs> and banging on my door like, hey, um, remember when you spoke to me about this? Can I do it now? I know I was in no kind of rush last time, but now I, I need to do it right now because I don't know what might change. Um, the uncertainty in immigration law, I mean, I think people didn't realize that a, a, a president could just write an executive order that make something that was legal yesterday now not available. Um, whether or not it will pass muster, um, that, that remains to be seen because these uh, executive orders have seen a lot of, um, they're, you know, they're being stayed right now by uh, different courts. Uh, there's, a lot, there's a lot of backlash. So they're not actually going anywhere, luckily, um, for my client base. But, you know, had things not been the way they were during the campaign, it's possible that maybe they would have gone somewhere. Maybe these executive orders would actually ban a group of people. And if, you know, if if it takes no warning like that, then then that's what I guess motivates people to now apply for something they know they've, they're eligible for, they've been eligible for it, and just to stop procrastinating, to get it done, become a citizen so that you're you're more secure in your status here. Um, but even so, uh, with this change in the administration, I think that even citizens have come to me worried about whether or not they can travel outside of the country. And, you know, will they be let back in when they're, when they're trying to come back to the U.S.? And I, I laugh because I'm like, well, you're a citizen. Come on. But to them, they really have no idea um, how the laws change, why the laws change, if the laws can change and when they can change. So uh, it's definitely not funny to them. And, and I, I try to be sensitive to that. But um, I'm, I'm now, you know, ready and, and available to help the people that were once just kind of t- kicking tires. And, and now they're ready to work. So that's that's been a huge change for me. I I was um, I had a lot more time on my hands probably a year ago this time. <laughs> yeah, it's been really amazing to see you know as a you know as a company that's providing clients access to immigration attorneys all throughout the United States. Just how much of an increase there's been in demand for immigration services just over the past few months, and we've kind of been at a scramble to really re- kind of reprioritize. You know the you know fighting attorneys in specific regions we didn't have them available uh, because right. of the sheer demand for amount of attorneys uh, clients that are coming in and wanting to you know secure their rights and you know I'm I'm also you know someone that's from Canada I have my citizenship here in the United States but my own mother doesn't have her citizenship and we've had conversations you know as, as a permanent <laughs> resident of the United States from Canada I said well. You know, do, is it is it time for you to get your citizenship? And we haven't, you know, and you know, there's, you know, we don't. Yeah. She doesn't have that. But it's it's just interesting that the question arises all of a sudden when everything that you thought was the case up till a point all of a sudden can change. All you know, right. it, it really raises a lot of questions and a lot of uncertainty and frightens a lot of folks that are not originally from this country. So uh, I can certainly right. empathize with their their lack of feeling of being secure if they don't have full and complete citizenship, and even when they do right now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so let's, uh, let's dive into the way in which you've been serving these clients when they're coming through and requesting help. Um, one of the things that you've, you've talked about before, uh, we've, we've talked about before, 
is the fact that you you initially were offering a virtual practice in the sense that you yeah. were working with a lot of people you know virtually without you know an office and then eventually transition to you know having a brick and mortar office but can you talk about mm-hmm. some of the systems you developed when you didn't have the initial office and then maybe you know why you made the transition to having the brick and mortar for now Right. And, you know, I am still doing quite a bit of virtual practice, but when it started out, um, once I got the lead, I would go ahead and if it was during business hours, I'd go ahead and call the person um, to do a sort of a screening call. If it wasn't during business hours, sometimes I would shoot them a text or an email, depending on what I was doing. And if I was, you know, able to actually write out a whole email, I have a two-year-old. So sometimes even sitting there with my own cell phone, is, is just trying to type something with my thumbs is just impossible. It's not going to happen. So... If it's a quick text, then that's a little easier for me. But um, before, like during business hours, if I call the person and I reach them, I'll just screen them and say, hey, you know, you've um, you made this online inquiry. I received that. I'm, I'm the unbundled attorney who can assist you on that. Um, what kind of immigration matter um, were you interested in talking to me about? And uh, if we want to go with the citizenship example again, then, you know, they'd uh, I'd screen them to see if they're even eligible to apply for citizenship and just basic questions like um, how long have they had a green card? Uh, did they get it through marriage or some other way? And if it was through marriage, are they still with their spouse? Um, because the requirements are different. If you're living and married to a U.S. citizen, you can get your citizenship in three years instead of five, the usual five years. Or if they served in the military, they can get it after one year. Um so things like that, just to find out what type of citizenship application they would have. That way I would know um, what my full representation fee is. But then I would talk to them about, um, you know, how much work they've already done. Because some clients have filled out the entire form on their own, but they're just not secure. They're not ready to send it off without someone looking it over for them. Or um, some clients, they don't really think they need someone to attend an interview with them. You know, they're pretty fluent in English. They're comfortable um, in that sort of one-on-one interview situation. So they don't need an attorney to do the full representation. Maybe they just want me to fill out the paperwork for them and, and provide me with all the supporting documents. So based on what they've already done, what they want to do, what their budget is, um, we decide what kind of representation they'll get. And that could be you know, the document review, if they've already done it, the document preparation, if they want me to do it, or the full representation. And every now and then you get someone who's already submitted their own application Uh, And they want to know if you can just come to the interview with them and then we'll do that. And of course, the most tedious of all, the uh, clients who or potential clients who aren't sure exactly what's going on with their case. Maybe maybe English isn't their first language and someone assisted them in the application. They sent it off and maybe they didn't get copies of everything or maybe they moved and now they're not sure if the mail is coming to the new address. And they're just not even sure what stage their application is at right now. Um, they want me to do investigations so they can know, can they pick up where they left off or do they need to start over? Do they miss something or are they in the clear and they just need to continue waiting? Um, So I have a separate uh, representation, I guess, that I I just call investigation or or consulting. Um, So those are all things that I guess unbundled attorney opened. I was more of a traditional practitioner where every representation was full representation. Um, but once I was introduced to this system, it just made me realize I don't have to do that. I, I can assist people who have already done a lot of work and don't want to have to do it all over again. Um, they just want me to review what they've done and make corrections and suggestions and give them advice. Um, so that it's definitely made me more open-minded to 
what I do in every case. It doesn't have to be exactly the same. Yeah, so I, what I'd really like to do is unpack some of those options and then maybe if mm-hmm. you give like a, a general overview or, um, you know, I know every case is a little bit different and you're going to be do- providing different levels of services, but I'd really like to unpack, you know, roughly what you might charge or within a specific range for each of these mm-hmm. different options. So we've got, you know, document review, you have document preparation, you have uh, attending the hearing and... Uh, investigation, I think, was one other one, and then you have the full representation. Mm-hmm. Um, can you break down roughly what what tip what you might typically charge for each of these types of options, and then we can also talk sure. about the full representation, maybe if you're doing kind of a pay as you go or as well well there um, once we've gone through these. Sure, I'll stick with the citizenship example. Um, the the citizenship applicant who has already completed all the paperwork and just wants me to review it, I call that document review. And in that case, I want to see not just the form that they filled out, but also all of their supporting documentation so I can also check it for accuracy. Um, that I would charge uh, the, the lower end of uh, the unbundled, I guess the suggested uh, pricing, the $500, um, because almost all the work is done for me. I can do that. It's almost like leisure reading for me. I'm just comparing, you know, a photocopy of their IDs to the line on the form that says, what's your ID number? You know, I'm just checking to see that things are accurate. And of course, the just to cover my own base is um, my contract includes an agreement that everything they're sending me is uh, legitimate. There aren't any fraudulent documents that they're giving me because when you're practicing virtually, you are taking that risk that, you know, what you're getting isn't what is real. Um, so they are signing a contract to that effect um, so that I can at least rely on what I have in front of me. And if it turns out that that's not the case, then I at least did my efforts, my own um, investigation into what they've given me to make sure that it's a, that it is at least something I can rely on. I've done my due, due diligence. So not only do they sign the contract, but I also check and see you know, this is an ID from the state of New Jersey. What does that look like? I'll, you know, check the New Jersey uh, DMV website to see what does a typical New Jersey ID look like. And if it does look like the real thing, then I can rely on that and, and their signature. Um, mm-hmm. So that would be the document review portion. The uh, document preparation um, would be a little higher. Now, that's going to depend on the type of case because with the citizenship example, if the person has never been arrested, never had any um, owed child support or owed taxes um, or anything like that, that is a pretty uh, simple representation. Full representation would be $1,000 on, on a case like that. Um, so the 500 for document review is you know, half of that, and then document preparation would be $750. Um, so the difference is not that great. Oftentimes, they'll just choose the full representation because with full they'll get the document preparation and the representation in the in interview as well as um, any co- continued correspondence with USCIS, the United States Citizenship and Immigration Service. Um, if they have any follow-up questions or need additional documentation or if they find something um, that they don't feel is sufficient, if they want more, um, I'm the one who's doing the, the talking for them. So. You know, I'll give them the option, of course, but um, because with citizenship, that example, um, because it's one of the least expensive type of applications, they'll often choose full representation anyway. Yeah. Um, So that's just an example of that pricing. And of course, the attending the interview only for someone who's already submitted their application, that would be 250 for my 
local um, central Orlando, central Florida, Orlando region. Um, if it's, it, I haven't had the opportunity to get one that's very far away yet, but I imagine I would reevaluate my fee depending on the travel. But I, I honestly don't think that um, it would be worth it to the client to pay me much more than that when they could probably find a close a lawyer who's closer to them that might you know charge the same as I do for my local clients. Right. Um, so yeah, right now it's two fifty for just for the attending the interview. And then when you you talk more about the the full representation option, um, obviously the various different types of things you're doing are going to carry. And, and for the most part, I think with immigration, it's it's a flat array. Like you, because the the process mm-hmm. is relatively the same, the documents are the same. They're going to vary based on the complexity of a unique issue. But you have right. you've developed a kind of an understanding of what each type of case takes, and so you can feel pretty comfortable quoting a flat rate almost every time, right? Exactly, and it does get easier with when you're using. Um, some some sort of form software that assists you in preparing the paperwork for your client. Um, I use uh, one that really automates everything so that once your client inputs information in a in an online questionnaire, it actually populates the form for you, and you just have to go in and, and make sure the forms are correctly um, filled out, uh, and then you know all the information is in the right space, and you know, you just review it and. You can sign off on it and have them sign off on it and, and prepare it for uh, submission. So that really speeds up the process instead of having to write the person's name five times over five different forms, um, depending on the type of petition you're, you're submitting. So it, does, it saves a lot of time that way. And you can also save time using um, other services like uh, – there are some pe- private paralegal services that um, – you know they're not they're not they don't work for any one lawyer. They just uh, provide paralegal services to any law firm that wants to hire them to outsource that work, and they communicate directly with your clients. Um, there's one that I believe was multilingual multilingual services, I believe. Um, I, I know it was MIS, mm-hmm. and I just can't remember what MIS stood for. <laughs> But I worked with them, um, or I'm pre- I prepared to work with them on a fiancé visa, and they were really helpful. And when they communicate with your client, it's as if they're right here in your office. And whatever software you may use, they'll log into that and input the information there, so you still have it there as well. So it's really helpful to have, you know, some sort of software and uh, a backup plan so that you're not doing all of this on your own without an office. <laughs> it can be really tough to try to fill out a bunch of papers and try to meet people um, online only and and not have anyone helping you out because it can be overwhelming. Yeah, I'd really like to unpack that step by step as far as this, mm-hmm. the virtual pieces of the puzzle and how, because a lot of attorneys are actually, might be more interested in moving more virtual as opposed to yeah. moving in the direction of, of the, you know, the brick and mortar, which is the transition you made where you know, you right. actually brought on a staff member and, and started, you know, having people coming in and, and you can talk maybe about why you made that transition in that direction. So, um, sure. but, but for now, um, what was the, the client, the, the automation or the software program they're using to auto-populate the forms? Oh, yes. Yeah. The one I use is INS Zoom. Um, there's I-N-S? another one called... INS? That's right. Uh-huh. Yeah. There's another one called E-Immigration Air by Serenade. That's serenade with a C. Um, and there are a few others like Immigrant Pro. Um, I don't remember all of them off the top of my head. But I like Zoom because it is all-inclusive. It's got 
um, forms for your client to complete. They can you can email them the PDFs to print out themselves and sign it and mail back to you. Um, you can put a picture of your client on there so you remember what they look like. <laughs> you can uh, bill them there. I send invoices through my clients from that software, but I do billing directly from my bank. So I don't actually use their um, merchant services, but the billing program is great, especially if you have a payment plan like I do for my um, my uh, full representation clients um, because I do offer uh, payment plans as well. I say I have a... Um, like for the citizenship example, if the full representation is 1,000, I'll require half of that up front, 500 down, and then we can work out uh, 250 a month after that if that's easier for the client. I'm, I'm pretty flexible because immigration is sort of a slow process and you tend to have longer relationships with your clients, so it does give them time to pay. Um, so I'm going to be working with them for a while. They'll, they'll, and we'll be in touch for a while. So I expect that they'll, they'll pay me over that time. And if not, um, the software emails them when the bill is due and reminds them to pay it. And until I mark it as paid, it continues to remind them. So uh, that's helpful that I'm not having to deal with that um, on my own. And it just saves a lot of information for you, uh, as well as you can put in court dates reminders. You, there's a calendar in here. You can set up pop-up alerts if something pops up on your screen reminding you um, that you have a task to complete. Um, it actually breaks up each case and suggests a task that you should complete on each case, depending on uh, what type of case you've assigned to the person. Mm -hmm. And uh, it also includes links to outside sites, um, outside immigration sites like USCIS, Department of Labor, Department of State, um, the individual service centers, and yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot on INSM, so I'm a big fan, and it's it's very um, affordable. I think I may have gotten a deal because I signed up with them while I was at a conference with the American Immigration Lawyers Association, mm -hmm. um, but my monthly fee is only I think a hundred dollars for one for one user, um, so it's really really helpful. It's definitely worth it for me. Um, so yes, yeah, so once I've spoken to a client about what kind of case they have and what kind of package they would like, I virtually would, when I, I would email, um, a contract using an Adobe software where they could sign it online using their finger or their mouse, or they could type it in. So it's mm -hmm. an electronic signature and now they've, you know, signed a contract with me and the next step would be to pay the deposit, which I would also send them either online or I would take the information over the phone. So let's, um, let's talk about that real briefly. So when you're on that sure. initial call, I mean, you've got step one, which is, okay, first of all, you have to figure out, do they have a path to get mm -hmm. the immigrant status that they're seeking? You know, Because there are some some cases in which they, they just don't have a pathway for it or they have to wait for a period of time. You know, there's certain right. qualifications, of course, you have to meet. So step one is figure out, okay, what, you know, do can I assist you right now or is there going to be a timeline and so forth? And then step two is, you know, you know, more of figuring out exactly what they're needing help with, asking some questions, and then basically uh, explain to them the strategy to move forward in their case, you know, the, basically the applications right. that need to get done. And then step three is uh, you, you describe maybe the fees or the options. Can you talk about just from strategy to then determining the type of options you're going to offer legally or also full representation and then how you figure out exactly what that deposit will be. So then, you know, because a lot of these enrollments you were doing right over the phone, obviously, because you didn't have a local right. office. So um, can you just talk about that initial call, how you determine 
you know, what, what encompasses the strategy versus like the nitty gritty of getting into each piece. Um, and then also, you know, how you determine which uh, option you're going to, they're going to choose and what will be the, the fee for that to get started. And we can, and then we can unpack the enrollment from there. Sure. Um, well, the strategy, if we go, go back to the citizenship example, um, if someone maybe it's February and um, maybe they haven't filed taxes in a couple of years, not that they there's anything wrong with their taxes, but they've actually made a decision with their accountant to um, just file taxes from previous years and, and you know, just request the extension. Uh, I don't know anything about tax law. So whatever it is that they do when you file them late and it's okay, that's what they do. <laughs> um, so they agree to do that. But because of that, we won't have uh, the most complete application for naturalization that I'd like to send. Um, so, you know, we'll strategize as to the timing. All right, you are paper eligible, but the supporting information that I know the government wants to see, you don't have available to you yet because you're still working with your accountant. Um, but that doesn't mean we can't get started. Um, so I'll tell them what we will start now while we're waiting for their, uh, their tax return to be complete and, you know, sign them up based on that, based on the fact that I can still collect proof of your status as a resident. I can still collect proof of your um, living in the U.S. I can still collect proof of, if it's through a spouse, proof that you've been living with and are married to a U.S. citizen and you have been for at least the last two years or nine months. Um, things like that. So we, I do tell them that, that I wouldn't necessarily list all of the specific documents that I need from them in that phone call, but in general, I'd give them an idea um, of what I would need in order to send this packet and what they can expect based on what, we, what they think they have now and what they will get in the future, how much time it'll take to actually send off a complete application. Um, so that's sort of a strategy with a, to the tax example. Another example might be of someone who may have had a criminal arrest or a criminal conviction in their past. Um, immigration can look at pretty much everything. They get access to it's a federal government. They do the background check. They find everything. But they only consider the last five years. So if someone, you know, has a conviction on their record and it's not a great one, um, it's not something that they are easily going to show rehabilitation from necessarily, um, I would suggest that they wait the five years. And in the meantime, if they want to retain me, um, we can get started on everything else that we need. Or we can even start on the legal arguments that I would make uh, as to why they have rehabilitated themselves uh, if it's less than five years. Mm. Um, things like that. So it's it's really up to them if they want to get started right away so that once, you know, the, uh, I guess the alarm goes off, five years is up or my tax returns are ready. Now we're not waiting to start at that moment. Instead, we're just completing an already started package. Um, yeah, this is a really good so, point you know, to highlight because a lot of attorneys that I've spoken to that we work with in the past, you know, if there was any missing documentation that they would need to get, whether it be, you know, a copy of their birth certificate or, you know, something that was extraneous that they're going to need to be able to complete this filing, they would say, okay, go ahead and get these documents together. And then once you have everything together, then give me a call and then we'll go ahead and get started. You can retain me at that time. And so what I'm hearing from yeah. you is that, you know, if they have other documents, okay, that's fine. But, you know, right now you still continue, you'll continue with the, you know, getting them started and rolling in the process. Uh, and, and and then they can kind of get that information together down the road at some point. But you're still moving forward right. with getting them, you know, moving forward, retaining them, you know, uh, 
having them come on board as a client and then getting some right. of these steps moving forward in the meantime, right? Yes. I mean, I've learned that the hard way that if you say, call me later, then they just might not. Because at the end of the day with immigration, I'm not just competing with other immigration lawyers. I'm competing with other lawyers who don't even practice immigration law that think that it's, you know, it's pretty easy. I can do this too. I'll try it. I'm competing with notaries. I'm competing with secretaries. And I'm competing with the person's friend who uh, filled out their own forms on their own and they can help me with it. So why do I need to hire a lawyer? So, you know, if they're speaking to me and I sound like I know what I'm talking about and I'm giving them instructions already on what to do next, um, if I'm, you know, if I strike while the iron's hot and, and have them hire me on the spot, um, or, you know, at least with, while we're, while we're still in communication with each other, um, then there's more of a chance that it's going to be a continued relationship. And, um, as of today, I haven't actually, I haven't lost anyone. Uh, I lost one client and it was only because a family member who was supposed to be doing the petitioning kind of decided they don't want to do it anymore. So that's totally unrelated to, um, to what I've been working on with them. So mm -hmm. even clients who have things they still need to work on getting me, they are all still on board and they're all still paying me, um, either through their payment plan um, or they've already paid in full depending on what package they, they got. So, yeah, yeah I, you know, you're, you're competing with people who don't have legal training that are offering much lower fees. And it's, it's harder when people are price shopping um, or if they meet someone who they know were, was successful on their own. Sometimes they don't realize that every case is different. Uh, maybe your friend did it on their own, but your friend doesn't have that criminal record or your friend paid all of their taxes on time every year. Um, so maybe yours won't be just like your friend's, even if your friend helps you with you. Yeah. So that's, um, that's why I like to get in as early as possible instead of doing the, uh, you know, come back to me later, uh, game. Yeah. It's pretty shocking that, uh, you know, in the immigration arena, you can have, uh, you know, you've, you've mentioned to me before that, you know, client, you know, anyone can pretty much enter an appearance and represent someone. Uh, as long as they've registered with mm -hmm. the court, with the immigration hearing and court, and then you've got these notaries, people doing documents. I mean, it's you know certainly mm -hmm. absolutely in their best interest to hire an attorney, but you you still have these companies out there throwing out these low price points, you know, three hundred dollars right. to, to draft this or this and that, and so that's that is the reality of what it is that you know attorneys nowadays have to compete with, whether it's in that client's best interest or not, which you know ultimately it's. You know, it's it's ninety nine percent of the time you're going to want to have a lawyer representing you to handle these these types of issues because there's an untold numbers of complications that can come up. Mm -hmm. And so, but the reality is, like, you still have to get people moving forward in the process because you know the competition is fierce, and you have these types of other company you know, organizations out there that are that are undercutting uh, attorneys that are providing these services to these clients, and and it's even more of a reason to be offering the types of options that you're offering to be more competitive, so that. You know, folks that are looking for a lower price point have the option available to them to be able to move forward in the process um, without necessarily having to, you know, you know, pay a huge amount of money up front. Yeah, I found that uh, they're very interested in meeting in the fact that they're meeting someone, a lawyer who's so flexible. They're like, oh, wow, I, you know, someone else wanted charge me about the same, but they wanted all of it up front. Yeah. Or they, or they didn't. I actually had one prospective, well, client now told me that their previous um, attorney that they retained didn't inform them until uh, some time had passed and they were wondering what's the holdup, that they don't actually start the case until the full payment is made. Even though they, they did offer a payment plan, um, they don't start any work until the entire bill has been paid. 
Yeah, exactly. So how do you, how do you, when you're talking to the client, how do you determine what is the best approach given that you have, you know, document review, doc prep, all these different unbundled options, and then you have the page you go, you know, full representation. And the fact that you're offering a flexible page you go, I would assume the majority of clients mm -hmm. go through that approach. I mean, that's, and I think that's the most common uh, option that most of our immigration attorneys offer is because you have so right. much time to be able to get these things done they can you know, give the client the ability to pay things one phase at a time uh, right. and break things up in that manner. Uh, so can you talk about how you figure out with the client, um, whether it be by asking questions or you know, laying out the various different options and then letting them choose um, how to figure out how to proceed with and which option to, to, to utilize to do that? Um, well, you know, every conversation is different, but I've actually found that you know, you can probably tell I'm a talker. I can really go on and on. <laughs> but I've found that um, I start with full representation, and some I sometimes I stop there because the client is ready to move forward based on the the rest of our conversation. Um, but other times I let the client tell me, well, I don't know if that's in my budget right now. Um, could you offer me something different? At this point, they've probably already read up on an unbundled attorney's website, what unbundling means and what types of options they, they could have based on their budget and based on their um, ability to take part in some of the work. Um, so now they're asking me, well, what if I were to fill out the paperwork myself? How much would it be then? That sort of uh, question might come up and I'm like, well, exactly. Yeah, that is an unbundled service that I do offer. And in that case, then this would be my fee and this would be the service that you would get for that fee. Um, and then, you know, there would be a clear separation of service at the end of that. Just so that's another thing that, and you know, lawyers will definitely want to be aware of. You do want to make it clear to your client when your service starts and when it ends when you unbundle them, because they might think that, you know, I have a lawyer on my case. This is my lawyer. And now anything that comes up, they're calling you when they've only um, agreed to, for you to complete the document review. Um, in that case, you're not their lawyer. You are their uh, document reviewer. <laughs> you're kind of just a proofreader and um, providing some legal advice, which is about the equivalent of a consultation, um, just a more personalized one. It's not just general law. Now it's here's what kind of what law applies to your case. Um, but other than that, you do not represent them and you do want to make that clear to them that that is, that is what they're agreeing to when they pick that option. Right. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, I, I definitely let the client lead the way in that conversation because I find that I don't want to sound pushy. I think I felt, I kind of heard myself sounding a little pushy in the beginning when I first started doing this, where I would say, well, this is my fee, but if you don't want to do that, well, how about this fee? Okay, well, how about this fee? You know, instead of just, I would just say, this is my full representation, and then the next, it would just follow or, organically. They would just ask, um, well, what other options do I have if I were to, you know, if I already have some paperwork completed or if I don't need you to come to the interview with me? Hmm. Right, so basically you'll, you'll share with them, okay, well, this is my rate, you know, to handle mm -hmm. this entire issue, and then essentially at that point, you know, you kind of start listening essentially for price objections uh, mm -hmm. where it's like, oh, well, you know, I can't really afford that right now or, okay, I really need to think about it. And then you might have to ask the question, well, yeah, I mean, is it, do you just don't have the ability to pay that all up front right now? Because, you know, mm -hmm. if not, then we have, so I can give you some other options to do so. So you kind of, you know, give right. them the, the price of what it's going to charge, which is, which a lot of, I think, you know, from feedback and conversations I've had with the attorneys I work with, 
an immigrant population, they tend to want to know, okay, what's the price? Tell me how much this is going to cost. Right. Maybe even more so than other areas of law. And so you're already, you're automatically giving them a a clear answer. There's no ambiguity Mm -hmm. around that. And then it's just a matter of figuring out, okay, if they can't afford that or they want a more flexible approach, then you can start to have the conversation and whether it be, you know, them paying a smaller amount up front and they're doing a pay-as-you-go or if they want to cut down on the actual total cost, they can start to get involved in some of the process of, you know, getting some of these paperwork together themselves or, you know, exactly. just doing parts of it and so forth. So, it, it kind of, it, it just cascades from there, right? Yeah, it does. And it, I haven't felt pushy since. <laughs> I feel like it's a very natural conversation about fees and it's not haggling. It's like, this is this is the price. This is my fee for this service that I offer. You're not... Um, convincing me to lower my price for you. I'm not doing you any favors. This is just, this is actually a package that's, that's already um, in place and available to you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, so let's say, assuming they, they choose some option and you guys make an agreement, okay, this is going to be the deposit down or this is the, the flat rate option. Um, you mentioned that you have, I think it's Adobe EchoSign or some type of Adobe Suite product where um, right. they sign a contract just with a click of a button Right, it's like a, you send them that agreement. They can click and mm-hmm. just sign electronically, which makes things a lot easier nowadays. You know, ninety some odd percent of the people, you know, probably close, cl- pretty getting pretty close to a hundred percent of folks have a smartphone, and so the ability right. for them to just you know click and sign is going to be really key for them to move forward in the process. But once you send that uh, that agreement and they've signed that, they make that initial payment through the the payment billing system that you have, which is is, is that also like a like an email with a link where they can go online and make that payment? It was. Uh, well, yeah, at the time I was using Square, which has no monthly fee. Um, they just have uh, a percentage of the credit card fees, depending, depending on how you input it, if you're swiping it because it's a card that's present, or if you're inputting the numbers on a virtual terminal on your own website. Um, I would include a space on my contract for them to put their credit card information. That way... Once they've signed, they've also given me authorization to take payments um, at the agreed upon uh, times for the agreed upon amounts. And that way, I don't have to call them every time or email them every time I have it right there. Um, But that would be for the Square. Now, since I bank with Bank of America, they've got a new merchant servicer. Well, I don't know if it's new, actually, but it's called Clover. And I switched to them because... And now that I've signed up with Clover, they actually waive my monthly bank fees. So now I have no bank fee. I figured, why not? Um, I haven't had all my training on how to use it just yet. So I'm not sure about sending a link like you mentioned. Mm-hmm. I do know that I can take information over the phone and input it that way. And, of course, I have a device to take cards in person as well. Um, yeah. But, yeah, once I figure out how to send an invoice for them to pay online, that that would definitely streamline things for me. Sure. Yeah, okay. So, so – Inevitably, they either give the card over the phone. I mean, certainly mm-hmm. when you're working virtually, it was they're always either providing the card over the phone or just inputting it into that contract that you would send right. through Adobe Echo, where they can just you know type it in, basically, right? Right. Yep. Okay. And so now, so now they're enrolled. Um, I think you mentioned earlier on um, about a client portal where they can log in and provide information. Can you talk about? I, you know, I, I know we already covered a lot with the you know, INS uh, Zoom Zoom. service, but basically just to to put a picture to that, it's a place where they can log in 
and provide information to you, or are you entering all that information into your, yourself from there to begin the work? They provide it. So INS Zoom has some, uh, I guess, questionnaires that they've already created, depending on the type of case. So in the citizenship example, I would create the contact person as a prospective client when I'm first speaking to them, and I could take notes under their name. Um, if they've now decided to hire me, if they've signed the contract and paid the deposit, I now convert them to a client. And I can add a family member if they're petitioning for someone else. But this is a citizenship example. So I'm going to add a case instead. There's no family members necessary for a citizenship um, questionnaire. So you add the naturalization questionnaire or case to their name. And then it just asks you to confirm the forms and the questionnaires that you would want the client to complete. Um, once you've confirmed that, you can go ahead and email those forms to the client and it gives you a chance to um, put more information in the body of that email like just saying you know thank you for choosing the law office of Vanessa Hyacinth to represent you in your immigration matter um, below you'll find instructions on how to log into your client portal where you can complete your questionnaires upload your um, documents and uh, take a look at your invoice as well because um, I, I do update their their payments in the online uh, invoice and I believe it also syncs with QuickBooks I haven't taken a stab at that yet, but I believe there's an option to do that as well. But anyway, um, so I send them that email that has the questionnaires and uh, a login for them to access those questionnaires, to look at their invoices, and to see what type of documents I would like them to upload for me um, if they can upload them. Of course, I come across a client every now and then who is not as tech savvy um, and instead just wants to email the attachment or mail me a hard copy. And that's totally fine. To me, that's still virtual practice because we haven't even met in person. So, right. <laughs> you know, I, I, I make that available to everyone as far as um, exchanging documents. But the questionnaires, um, it's fairly easy. The password is just some, you know, alphanumeric that they create for each client. And they can copy and paste that right into their login screen. And it just goes page by page. Um, it asks them, you know, name, address, contact information, um, all of the questions that are on the form. And they just keep going page by page until they reach the end. And when they reach the end, it notifies me that they've completed that, um, that's that questionnaire. So now I can go, I can log in on my end and take a look at their answers and make sure that they've answered it correctly because every now and then you have someone who doesn't understand the question, um, be it a language barrier or, or, or just the fact that it, it doesn't, it's in legalese or whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. um, and then I'll, I'll double check things with them to make sure everything's correct. And then I can open up the form. So now the form kind of just populates based on what's in that questionnaire. And I do another check on the form to make sure it is what was inputted in the questionnaire. And at that point, I can print it out and mail a hard copy to them to, to sign, or I can email it to them for them to print and sign on their own. Um, or they can, you know, arrange an appointment in my office. I just actually just had one right before you called me where I had some clients come in and, and sign some documents in person that I printed off from that software. And the software is very good because it keeps the forms up to date. Um, in fact, I had this client that just left this uh, afternoon um, earlier this year, and the form has been updated by USCIS. So the form that I had for them was out of date. And when I went to print it, a pop-up showed up on my screen saying, you need to update your form, um, follow the, these steps. 
and and then try the print. Wow. Yeah. So I did that, and I got the new form, and they signed that. That way, I was sure to not send in the wrong form because that would surely come right back to me from USCIS. <laughs> yeah, and that's um, a big deal to have to keep checking and, and updating, you know, regularly your forms to make sure that the most they're up to date with whatever you see USCIS is using. So the fact that that happens automatically mm-hmm. is nice. And and so I can start to really see how, you know, if, if the client is filling out these questionnaires and it's, you know, step-by-step online, it's just a lot of time saved for that you don't have to sit there and, and just interview them if they're, if they're, when they're not, you know, the alternative being they would come in the office and then you would like mm-hmm. fill all this information out with them sitting in front of right. you and all taking time. And so, you know, that really starts to cut down on the personal hour, you know, amount of time that you have to put in, or your a staff member would have to put in by you know just enabling the client to to fill the stuff out on their on their own, and that sells seems relatively self explanatory, pretty straightforward. And then you're there yeah. to just to review to make sure there's no mistakes and you know and correct anything that uh, wasn't completely accurate or wasn't filled out completely. Right. So instead of basically reinventing the wheel. Um, for every single client and every single form that I have to fill out for each client, I now am getting them to fill out their own information. I mean, it is their own background. They know where they've lived for the last five years. They know where they worked for the last five years. And they have time to sit and think about the exact addresses and zip codes and phone numbers instead of sitting in my office and wondering, oh, man, I don't remember. Um, you know, I mean, I guess I could have done the same thing in paper. I could mail things like this, but that would mean that I'd have to create them. Um, I'd have to create the questionnaires for them because I wouldn't want to send them the government forms um, because that's what they were trying not to do. They're trying to get me to fill out the government forms. So (laughs) I would need to send them a questionnaire that I created and they'd have to fill it out on paper and then mail it back to me. And now you're dealing with, you know, whether or not I can read their handwriting, um, the mail, sometimes the mail doesn't go through. And uh, just the fact that it's all in English as well. This software also allows them to change the language. Um, It uses uh, Google Translate software, so there are tons of languages available to them to change it. Of course, Google Google Translate isn't the uh, most accurate translation software out there, but it's helpful to just not see it in English, which is, you know, sometimes totally foreign to, to some clients. So... Yeah, and when it, that questionnaire yeah. is completed, then it basically populates mm-hmm. directly into the USCIS yeah, yeah. forms. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah. And now I'm just editing and, and correcting and, and checking for accuracy. And um, what's also pre-populated in the forms is my information as the preparer, as the attorney of record, um, my name, phone number, address, all of my contact information, my bar numbers, bar license numbers, and my USCIS um, ID online number. All of that is pre-populated in every form. So I never have to enter that again. And that's that's saved a lot of time as well. Just you know, yeah, imagine having to write your name and address that many times. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, when we kind of zoom out and look at how all this technology I mean, the reality is you know, almost every immigration lawyer that I've I've talked to or that we've worked with is typically charging a flat rate for a service, mm-hmm. whether it be fifteen hundred, two thousand, one thousand, depending on what they're doing. You know, and there's some things that you might be charging a retainer hourly, and you know, you've got representation and other things. But majority, vast majority right. of quotes is flat rate, and so, you know, it's it behooves the attorney to become more efficient when you're offering a flat rate, right? Because you know, it, it, yeah. it's gonna whatever that amount is you're gonna collect. Let's say two thousand dollars. That can either take you ten hours, and you can make an effective hourly rate of two hundred dollars an hour, or it can take mm-hmm. you five, and you can make an effective hourly rate of four hundred an hour. And that only is determinant, that is, that is very much determining 
by the technology and the systems and the, and the streamlining that you know attorneys now have available to them, as this perfect example illustrates, to be able to start you know cutting down and streamlining the delivery of the services uh, under those flat rates. And so by integrating these types of document automation software and, and client portals where the client is empowered to be able to provide a lot of this information you know, on their own time, and that information goes right into the forms, and then you become someone, you just need to make sure that it's all completed correctly and reviewed and making sure all this course, like, you know, they're, they're taking the right steps and so forth. It really starts to cut down on your own personal time that you need to invest in each case, which get, then gives you the opportunity to either have a greater profit margin for each flat rate, a higher effective hourly rate, or offer a more competitive, you know, lower price to get these documents out the door and help them with these various cases, which, you know, okay. both options are going to be really good for you're competing in today's market or, you know, being able to offer a lower cost service that you're able to still, you know, make a really good profit or, or margin on at the same time. Mm-hmm. So it really seems like these types of technologies and this this process, especially in immigration, is really key for attorneys nowadays to be able to compete and, and offer competitive rates and also see a good return on their time. Right. Yeah. Especially for me as a brand new solo attorney, I don't have the staff yet to support me to help me with this. Having the software is like having a virtual paralegal. Um, and I'm just, if I had a paralegal, I'd be checking their work. And now I'm checking this software's work as well. Um, so it's sort of the same process and it's it's much cheaper. It's $100 a month and I don't have to pay for benefits or anything like that because, you know, I, my practice just started. I'm not quite ready for that yet. Um, I have an assistant who helps me uh, with phone calls and some screening and appointment setting, but not so much with the actual work. Um, so I'm not, I'm not at that stage yet, and this software really helps me. <clears throat> Excuse me. But um, once I do get to that stage, it will just be a smooth transition because everything they need um, will be right there. They'll be able to follow the same steps I'm following, um, and you know they'll be training on the on the systems software for them as well. Yeah. So and in is, everything that we've described, you know, everything we've described up to this point, you know, potentially you you still have never met with the client and ultimately right. may not ever need to unless you're going to be going and appearing for the hearing, depending on the right. type of option that they chose. So this is all done 100% virtually, uh, you know, potentially exactly. with you working from home with and being able to spend time with your two-year-old and, you know, be spend more time with your family, which I think, you know, you know, as much as... You know, attorneys like making money. You know, we, every, we're all yeah. in it to spend time with our family and 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 have the ability and flexibility to um, live life in the way that we want to live it. And so, this also creates enables that possibility to be mobile and virtual and and not necessarily have to come in the office if you don't want to. However, you've actually right. made the determination recently to to open up an office and hire an assistant. Can you talk about why you felt like you've it was worthwhile for you to make the move to actually have the brick and mortar office? Um, you know, whereas before you didn't, you, did, you were able operating everything virtually 100%. Yeah, so that's actually a product of my local environment. Um, of course, my workload has increased overall, but regionally in Orlando, um, there has been an influx in the Haitian population, specifically people who have come to America by way of Brazil. Um, it, after the earthquake in Haiti in 2010, many people moved to Brazil, and Brazil actually offered many Haitians um, what's the equivalent of our green card here, residency, and um, they were able to work and live there um, lawfully. But unfortunately, now that Brazil is having an economic um, sort of downturn, uh, many Haitians have emigrated to the U.S., 
seeking asylum or other immigration benefits. And, you know, the, many of them came to California, Texas, and Arizona. And Florida, already having quite a large um, Haitian population, you know, a lot of the people who came to, through those other states have relatives here, and they were actually released to those relatives. So that influx in that population, um, and me having a Haitian background, I am attracting those same clients. They want to speak to someone who speaks their language, and they'd really like to meet them in person. Um, and not only that, they really they came here with nothing. They don't have access to the Internet to find me on Unbuzzed Attorney and, and fill out these questionnaires online and, and email me things. So this is not um, – it wouldn't be conducive to rely only on that for, in, for me to serve that community. So uh, I was using a, uh, a virtual office plan where – I could just pay for a few hours here and there to actually sit at a real office um, in Orlando or anywhere. Uh, da Vinci offers uh, the same sort of uh, office program anywhere in Florida. I can rent a space by the hour and meet with clients in person. I'd have a desk. I'd have Wi-Fi. Um, there'd be plenty of parking. I'd have access to a printer, a fax machine, and all of that. Um, and that was that was really useful until it just became it was just too much time spent traveling to those locations and too much money spent on those locations when I could just find a place that had rent and store all my files there. Now that I was getting more and more cases, more clients, uh, the files weren't really fitting in my home office anymore. So that's when I knew it was time to move. And I knew it was time to get some help when I couldn't field all of my leads. I just wasn't getting able to get back to people or wasn't able to reach out to people who initially reached out to me. Or when I finally did, I, I missed the boat. They'd already hired another lawyer or they've already decided to do something themselves or yeah. in some cases return to their home country because they gave up. And, and that was the saddest part for me. I felt worse if a person left and gave up than if they hired another lawyer, because at least if they hired another lawyer, they got help. But if they left, that means that, you know, I, part of the reason why they couldn't get help is because I didn't get back to them fast enough. Um, so now that I, I have someone who can answer every call that comes in during business hours, I should say, and can uh, reach back out to the unbundled leads as soon as they come in, um, that, that makes me feel like I'm at least reaching folks right away and, and can start helping them right away. Um, yeah. so yeah, now in the central Florida region, um, you know, I am getting a lot of, uh, people who are originally from Haiti that want to meet someone in person, um, not only because they don't have the technology available to them to do the virtual practice, but also just culturally. Um, there are many cultures that would prefer one-on-one um, -on -one meeting. You know, there are countries that don't have all the bureaucracy that we have here in the U.S., and it's just it's that much less trustworthy to deal with someone and, and spend money on something that really matters in your life, such as your ability to stay in a country that you've never met. And I can completely understand why um, anyone from any country might not be, be comfortable with that, even in, in a native um, U.S. citizen. So it makes sense to me that, that I should also be available to folks who, who don't want to necessarily do everything virtually. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think it, it Da Vinci's virtual office and there's a lot of other companies out there where you can, you know, just pay for, you know, an hour at a time. I think is a great, you know, bridge for attorneys that either want to expand into a new region, for example, and don't have an mm -hmm. office there and want to just have that presence there because a lot of clients feel a lot more comfortable 
if you're going to be serving a region where your primary office isn't, that you know you have an office and you can say, yeah, we have an office in Fort Lauderdale. And, and the reality is you mm -hmm. do. It's just a virtual office and only paying by the hour for it. So, um, you know, the virtual offices are key in the sense that you can you can kind of bridge the gap and just pay for an hour at a time. You don't necessarily have to maintain full overhead, you know, and it's something that you're paying monthly for and, and, and you know, staffing as well. But at a certain right. point, I think, like you said, it just gets, gets you know, to the point where the paying hourly makes less sense than actually having the office and having someone staffing it. And, and you know, obviously you're getting a lot of leads. I mean, can you give a bit of a context on, you know, how many leads you're getting and, and, and roughly how many calls that is for, you know, you, you know, which has led you to have to, you know, get a staff member involved to, to assist you with that? Yeah. Um, I mean, any day that I don't get a lead is, is shocking. <laughs> yeah, at least get one a day. Um, let's see. I guess uh, one day I got four, and honestly, right after the inauguration, I would get like fifteen a day, twenty a day. It was really insane. <laughs> that that was actually when I decided I need an office. I can't do this. There's no way I can do this, even yeah. if I um, get virtual help. I mean, I had a virtual phone answering system where you know they'd answer, "Thank you for calling the law office of Vanessa Hyacinth. How can I help you?" And I'd give them a script of questions. I'd, I'd need them to ask clients to kind of screen them and and what they need, but at the end of the day, they were just a human voicemail. You know, I needed someone to actually do some immigration work, <laughs> you know, who understood what the questions were that they were asking, who could schedule for me. Um, there are some out there that do some scheduling, but uh, it was difficult for me because I need to rent a space. So I don't know if I can have the person who's taking the call look at my calendar and find the best location on the right day. Um, because even if they see something in my calendar, do they know that I might, I might have put it in my calendar for one hour, but in reality, it could last all day, and maybe they should not schedule anything that day. You know, it's hard to keep up with. Um, yeah. Without it just being a lot of phone calls back and forth to get the get to the final answer. Now that I'm in the same space as my assistant, she can just shout over and say, "Hey, I see something in your calendar for Tuesday. Can you take anything else that day?" And she gets an immediate answer. So. It, it got to be um, unmanageable based on the uh, the workload that was coming in. Yeah, absolutely. It's it was pretty crazy, especially right around the inauguration. Mm -hmm. And I think at the time you were oh, doing yeah. Miami, but you've since short back to, yeah. to Orlando, at least for now. But uh, yeah. yeah, we were getting it was it was getting a little a little crazy with all the amount of leads that were coming <laughs> in, the amount of people that were requesting help for for understandable reasons. People were scared, people mm -hmm. were frightened, and and like you said, you know, the ability to to be the one to call each lead at least as much as possible and mm -hmm. or, or at least if you can't call in a real time, have someone calling them to schedule them to speak with you is really important because right. people, people are going to keep looking and you know, they really are comforted by hearing from an attorney that is responsive to those requests. And so, um, you know, I, I can completely understand why you decided to make the move to not only have the office for, you know, the Haitian immigrants and people that want to work with you in person and maybe don't have the technological mm -hmm. ability, um, but also mm -hmm. to have that staff member to back you up to make sure that you're able to be fully responsive to each lead request. Yeah, it's been a roller coaster. <laughs> yeah. Well, this has been uh, just uh, an awesome interview. I, I just I really appreciate you coming on and, and sharing so openly the different options. I mean, we've gone, you know, I think everyone that's listened you know, has a really clear understanding of how to offer step-by-step, -step, you know, virtual uh, immigration, you know, beca you know to, uh, to, uh, to become virtual if they choose to be. And mm -hmm. there's technologies that are enabled to do that. 
and how to you know send get that payment request, have them fill out the questionnaire, how that all populates through, and you know really helps you be a lot more streamlined and and, and more efficient. And then also just the various unbundled options you offer. You know, I think there's a lot less attorneys nowadays that you know are offering document review, document preparation, uh, attending the hearing, providing investigation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, could you actually? I think we might have skipped over investigation. That was one oh, piece. Oh, you're right. Yeah, I don't think we touched on that. Could you take that real quick? As far as you know, people sure. that just want to figure out what the heck's going on, and and you offer that option just to kind of look into things where an attorney's involvement can change, can get some more information for them. Yeah, I can actually give uh, an example of one person who came to me. Um, he um, actually also a patient descent came here as a minor, and his parents came, and this was during a time where immigration law. Um, actually, there was actually a law in place that assisted Haitians in getting um, resident status here if they meet cer- met certain criteria at that time. So his parents, unfortunately, did not meet that criteria, and they were deported. And this was back in the early 90s. But somehow he and his sister were allowed to stay here. Um, they didn't really give him much information at the time. He just knows that he stayed with another relative and continued going to school and was authorized to go to school and was authorized to work. And then one day he goes to work and his employer says, your employment authorization is expired. And he's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I'm a citizen. And it turns out he's not a citizen. Um, we He did a little investigation on his own before he found me, um, but he just wasn't able to understand all of it. He didn't understand. They were copies of court records and copies of forms. And, you know, I wouldn't expect him to understand all that stuff, but um, he basically came to me with that big pile of information and a CD um, and was wondering, I don't even understand what happened here. What is, what is my history? What is my immigration history? Um, And I was able to break it down for him. Um, based on what he had in in his hands. Um, But I also offer doing that research for you because there are some folks who don't know where to look. They don't know that they can do a Freedom of Information Act request and just literally write a letter and say, saying, I want a copy of my whole immigrant file. Um, They don't know where to send such a thing. They don't know if there's a fee for that. Um, So I would assist them with that, and I, I would also help them decipher it. And from there tell them what their next steps should be, if any need to be taken. And yep. for that, um, I, it's, it's $500. Um, but of course, that doesn't include what those next steps are. If that means that now we need to reopen a case, there's going to be a different fee for reopening that case and now fighting that case out in court. Um, if that means that maybe they're halfway through an application and the government has been waiting for their response or their next steps in that application now I'm you know t- telling them what the fee is for that for that next step so yeah, yeah. the inv- investigation alone is yeah would be the the 500 usually depending on how complicated the case is yeah I think you've said before it's somewhere between 250 and 500 usually on the higher end because if someone's hiring you to investigate things tend to be a little bit more complicated but you've also had yeah. ones that are a little bit on the lower end as well so I mean it's a great example again so you've got you know, investigation where you can investigate someone's case, 250 to 500, somewhere in there. You got docking review where they could bring in what they prepared and you can just review it. Mm-hmm. 250 to 500, you got docking preparation, which is, you know, usually in the, you know, 250 to 1,000 range, depending on what needs to be done. And then you've mm-hmm. got, if they just want you to go for the hearing, you got attendance of the hearing, which is, you know, around 250 as long as it's local. If it's a little further, you might have mm-hmm. to charge a little travel time. And then you've got, the full representation where if the, you know and it's a flat rate and if they can't pay that all front you've got you know pay as you go where you can make one payment at a time um, obviously there's exceptions to that because you have you know deportation hearings sometimes where there's a timeline or a time frame where you have to respond yeah could you right. talk just maybe briefly to that 
um, that might be the only limitation to the pays you go or being, you know, having, you know, almost complete flexibility on the payment plan is when they have a specific deadline. Um, do you have a little bit more, I don't want to say strict, but, you know, a little bit more, mm-hmm. you know, clear requirements for someone that maybe has a deadline that they have to get something done by where you may not have the same degree of flexibility as far as the amount of right. time they have to pay uh, as you would with any usual case. Yeah, like uh, with an affirmative asylum application, you are supposed to make that application before you have been in the U.S. for a year. So if I know that their one-year anniversary date is coming up um, and, you know, I'm giving them a payment plan option, they do know that they have to make at least uh, three-quarters, I'd say, of the payments prior to me sending the packet because, honestly, three-quarters of the work has been done at that point. Um, all that's left after that is application for employment authorization and attending the asylum interview with them. So that might not necessarily need full payment up, you know, before I send it, but at least three-quarters of it. Um, with the court representation, it's a little tougher. I found that most people in that situation really don't have much of an income. So that's more my low bono side of my practice. Um, there are a couple of pro bono ones in there as well. And I'm just, I'm actually super flexible with those, to be honest. But, um, you know, the folks who are working and have been here a long time and have fairly simple cases, um, the it is month to month still, um, but it is a, a higher monthly payment because I do know that once it's over, if it turns out, positively, then, you know, they're they're here in the U.S., their case is over, they don't have to worry about anything anymore, there's not really that much of a motivation to continue to pay me. Um, if it turns out negatively, then they're getting deported and there's really no motivation to pay me. So yeah. I do want that payment to come faster. So what, what I do is I just make the monthly payments higher. Yeah, yeah so that they so have the still, full balance paid off by the time the actual hearing comes up, if it's a deportation or something like that. But right. with that aside... I mean, it's just. I mean, you're making the the services of an immigration attorney accessible to anyone, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, two fifty, five hundred. You've got all these different options. You got payment plans. I mean, and that's what this is really all about. So, you know, the fact that you're, you're doing this and, and working with people in the way that you are, I just, I really appreciate it. I know there's got to be just a ton of clients that you've worked with personally. Certainly, leads that we've sent you. We've sent you probably, you know, two hundred plus leads now. So. You know that otherwise wouldn't have been able to afford an attorney uh, if they hadn't met you and and your willingness to to work with people in the way that you are. So um, I thank you for that, and I'm sure they appreciate it too. And I certainly thank you for sharing all these different options so openly, so that other attorneys that maybe haven't been offering these options now have some new ideas and maybe some inspiration to start integrating some of these options in their practice. And hopefully that'll impact uh, clients' ability to use a lawyer in the way that uh, you're impacting people too. Right. Thanks. And, you know, I want to thank you, too, because Unbundled Attorney has really changed my practice, or at least what I thought my practice was going to be when I first started out. And um, it it opened me up to all types of people from all over Florida um, who have all types of different situations, where before I was limited to people who knew me through someone else. And me being new to Florida, that was a very small circle. Um, So this definitely increased my ability to attract clients and and keep them and keep them happy and also create future work for myself because sometimes it's not over. Maybe they'll apply for a visa with me and then they'll come back in a few years to get their green card and a few years after that to get their uh, citizenship. So it's it's been really great to be able to start these relationships with with the folks who need the assistance and just need a little bit more flexibility. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm glad that uh, it's had the impact it has, and I'm really excited about the future of uh, the amount of clients you're going to be serving and and, uh, the impact certainly of this interview as well. And I'll certainly give you feedback on anything that uh, attorneys share that uh, they they got from this interview. But with that, uh, we can go ahead and wrap up and uh, thank you again, Vineshka, for taking the time to to share these uh, these options and what you've learned and and what you're doing for the folks out in uh, mid uh, central Florida. And to everyone else that's listening, thank you for participating in the podcast. Obviously, this is a, a really a, kind of a crash course. There's a lot of great ideas and options offered in this option that's so offered in this episode. So, if there's any immigration attorneys out there that you know that you know you think might benefit from listening to this episode, please share it. Um, that's certainly how we you know grow this podcast and have it reach more and more attorneys and to learn some of some some of these ideas and ways they can you know make more money and help more clients at the same time. So we appreciate the support of the show. And with that, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you all on the next episode. Thank you so much for having me. For more information about how our lead generation services can help you grow your practice, visit our website at www.unbundledattorney.com. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please be sure to subscribe so you get each new episode as soon as it's available and leave us a rating and a review on iTunes. Once again, thanks for listening.